Welcome to Beautiful Business, the podcast where functional evolves into beautiful. And now your host, Stephen Morris. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Uh, I know the room is going to take a few minutes to fill up here. And as we do, uh, you can feel free to put in the chat function where you are in the world. I can say, first and foremost, I'm super excited for this conversation to have two uh, beautiful and brilliant business thinkers, Denise Leon and Adam Bryant here today. Before I do introductions, just a little bit of housekeeping. Actually, before I even get into that, Denise, where are you in the world right now? <laughs> I, I am in San Francisco. I'm in my home office today. Beautiful. And Adam, how about you? New Orleans, which uh far cry from my home country of Canada, but we're having a really good time here. Now, are you living in New Orleans now? Did we? Yeah, about eight months a year. It's uh, okay. when, when it gets hot, my Canadian blood doesn't do well. So we, <laughs> we <laughs> very good. And I'm in and Steve, uh, where are you? I'm in lovely San Diego, California, and we're bracing ourselves for a bit of rain, uh, which we desperately need. So it's uh, that time of year where we're starting to get a little bit of rain. And I think we're supposed to get some tonight. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, a couple of orientation things here for today. For the three of us, we're going to talk for maybe 50 minutes, maybe an hour. I've got a handful of questions that I want to uh, throw at both Denise and Adam, and we're going to go into some really interesting corners around purpose and what lies perhaps beyond purpose. Um, so, but if you have questions at any point during this conversation, uh, those of you that are familiar with Zoom, there's a little Q&A function. Go ahead and put them in the Q&A box at any point when you have a question. And when it comes time for those questions, I'll be your curator. So I'll feed the questions out to both Adam or Denise and however the questions are pointed. You can ask a question to any one of us if you want or to all of us. Uh, so your questions are welcome, and we do want to make this interactive as, as you want at the very end of this. But at the very beginning, it'll be about Denise and Adam and me and us traversing uh, these particular topics. So with all that, I'm going to go ahead and dive into some intros and let us let you guys know who is here on, on this conversation. Denise Leon is a sought-after keynote speaker. Uh, she is the go-to expert on brand leadership for media outlets that include New York Times, CNBC, NPR Marketplace, Wall Street Journal, and many, many, many others. She's the author of What Great Brands Do, and her newest book is Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. She is an expert on brand and greatness. When she's not speaking and writing on brand leadership, she serves as the founder and director for Faith and, and Work Journey. That's Faith and Work Journey. She's hiked to the base of Mount Everest. I can't believe you did that. And I think, Denise, if I get this right, you've also climbed Kilimanjaro. Is that right? I yes. guess I have. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's danced with professional ballet companies. She's flown helicopters. I didn't even know that about you. I read that about your background. <laughs> She's a brilliant and soulful human, and I count her among my most trusted colleagues. Welcome, Denise. Thanks, Steve. And, and I do want to mention that um, I my biggest claim to fame is that I am a good friend of yours. I should say that you are a good friend of mine. Um, Steve, uh, for those of you who are, are tuning in, Steve and I have known each other for what, like 
20 plus years. I mean, a long time. We're going to age ourselves here if we go back that far. Yeah, Yeah. we used to play in the playground together, right? So totally. Um, (laughs) Right. And my most recent book, Fusion, which you mentioned, Steve played a huge role in the development of that and particularly in the naming of the book as well. So just wanted to give you props for that. Oh, thank you, Denise. I appreciate that. Yeah. And Adam Bryant is the managing director uh, of the senior leadership and development executive mentoring firm, the XCO Group. Adam, is that how you pronounce that, XCO Group? Yeah, good. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who's worked as a reporter, an editor, a columnist for the New York Times. He's an expert questioner. I feel a little bit, honestly, a little bit pressured here Mm because you're usually the one doing the interviews on the other side. And he's an expert listener. He's uh, interviewed more than 500 CEOs. Actually, I think it's more than that now, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pushing actually 1,000. That was uh, during my New York Times. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure, Steve. Um, And and he does that for uh, a a program called Corner Office. It's a series that uh, leadership that he's developed in 2009. Adam is the author of three books based on the themes that have emerged from his interviews and consulting work. His newest book, which is exceptional, I highly recommend it for any CEO out there or anyone who wants to be a CEO or anyone who wants to work with a CEO, uh, is called The CEO Test. Master the challenges that make and break all leaders. I love that book. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. There's some 10 key things in there that all CEOs, I believe, must master. He's a father. He's a husband. He's an insatiable seeker of what makes great business and great leadership work in the way that I believe it should work. And I think that Avin believes it should work. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, good. So for those of you that don't know me, I'm your host here today. I'm taking the backseat, but also the driver's wheel uh, of the questions and answers. I'm a brand and leadership building uh, expert. I fuse, I work with Denise sometimes and uh, learned a lot from her infusing brand and culture together. So I lead organizations to be able to do that. I also fuse in what we call business strategy. So the triangulation of business strategy, brand and culture. I make sure that organizations have uh, integrity within what they're doing. And I believe also in people first organizations and helping organizations build people first companies. Uh, I work with more than 300 brands across the globe and more than 3,000 business leaders. I've been doing this for a long time, and I get to be the host and the questioner here today. So I'm super excited about this. I'm also the author of a book called The Beautiful Business, my most recent book, uh, and it's an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. So let's dive into our topic today. Um, what I really want to do is encircle an inquiry around organizational purpose um, and what it means, uh, what role it plays in business or what roles it plays in business, and maybe even in particular, what role it plays in our post-pandemic world and how purpose may be playing both a positive and maybe not so positive role in the zeitgeist of both business and even society. You know, I think it's fair to say at this point that corporations has have pretty much displaced uh, or big, you know, government and big institutions as you know trusted and primary drivers of social change. Uh, there was an Edelman study that came out recently that talked about some data around that, and it feels like a pretty big responsibility. If I'm being per- perfectly honest, and, and having talked with a lot of CEOs, I've heard from them that they feel like you know wow, we're carrying a lot of weight and, you know, 
we now think about you know putting purpose within our organization and you know the a lot of eyes are on us from a social standpoint not just our employees but our customers are looking us to change society um, and maybe some organizations are stepping up into that in very uh, integrity-driven ways, and they're fully embracing purpose and living up to those things, doing things like measuring them. And maybe there's some other types of organizations who are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon and saying, hey, we're purpose-driven too, and you know, look at us, and you know, maybe that's not the most uh, uh, ethical thing to do. So before we get into all that, let's talk about what purpose actually is and how we would define that. Denise, I would love to start with you. Just from your perspective, how, how would you define purpose? Mm-hmm. In its most basic form, your purpose is your why. You, you as an organization, you as a leader, you as a person need to play an invaluable, irreplaceable role in this world and your purpose statement uh, enables you to articulate what that role is, why you do what you do. Yeah, yeah. And Adam, how would you define it? I'll, I'll agree with everything Denise just said, but the way I think about it is uh, almost to invoke the um, metaphor of altitude. And to me, there's a proper altitude for purpose. And I feel like a lot of companies have just gone way too lofty and general and ambiguous. And I think the uh, there is a... A, a sort of sweet spot in terms of altitude where it isn't so just lofty in general and that it feels more grounded and rooted in the actual business of the company. Mm-hmm. And so that all the stakeholders, including employees, can kind of see a clear line between what the company does and what the purpose is. Um, I just, and you know, look, we've got the luxury of time here to explore this, but I, I yeah. think we're in a moment, I'm just seeing like a lot of two way too many purpose statements that are up in the clouds. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, oh, go ahead, Denise. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I definitely want to dig into that, but, but just to provide, I pulled some statistics just to provide some evidence for what Adam just talked about. Um, according to a Deloitte study, um, they surveyed C-suite leaders, 79%. So practically all said that their company has a clear and defined purpose strategy that is integrated with their core business strategy. But only 22%, so barely any, indicate that their company makes it a priority to collect and report on their Mm. progress on purpose. So to me, that suggests that their purpose isn't as impactful or as integrated into their business as they think it is or they say it is. Yeah. And is that, Adam, what you're kind of alluding to with this in the clouds element where it's, you know, a lofty idea, but not necessarily, you know, with the intention to land the plane anywhere close to planet Earth? Yeah. And to me, it it might be useful, like, to sort of step back and take stock of of this moment that we're in and have been for the last two and a half years, which I think provides some important, important context for why we're having this kind of purpose moment. And we are having a purpose moment. I mean, I interview a lot of leaders and the number of sentences where they put in the phrase purpose-driven, mission-driven, you know, there there was a period in business where if you added the word strategic to any sentence, it sounded better. Um, And you put going forward at the end of the sentence and it sounds smarter. Um, And I feel like we're in kind of a similar moment now where just every sentence sounds better with purpose or mission-driven in in it. so again, the, the sort of why we're having this moment, I mean, you mentioned all the surveys that show that people are looking to businesses to solve all of society's ills. We're in this era of stakeholder capitalism. 
after the pandemic hit, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people are sitting home alone and sort of the meaning of life and questioning, which led to the great resignation, the imbalance of the, you know, labor supply, demand and supply. And I think because of all that, there was this push for companies to say, as part of our recruitment and retention strategy, we need to play the purpose game because everybody's in this kind of like, what's the meaning of life, right? So to me, that's kind of the context for it. And I think that has just led a lot of companies reflexively to say, yeah, we need a, we need a purpose statement. And some of them are more effective than others. And, and Denise, I know you've got thoughts on what makes for a good purpose statement, and I do as well. But I think we all, sh- I think we all need to acknowledge that some skepticism is warranted. And there is a, um, you know, there, that HBO series, Silicon Valley, there is a wonderful clip in one of the episodes where it's at one of those conferences where companies pitch to investors, um, you know, over and over and over. And, and all these companies are like incredibly like arcane, you know, SaaS cloud, like some really specific stuff. And the joke of the scene is, and at the end of every one of their pitches, they say, and make the world a better place. Um, <laughs> and, and I sort of feel like we're getting to that. Um, you know, I was an editor for 15 years at, at uh, New York Times and Newsweek. And I just find like my skepticism muscle, like really kicking in and, and wanting to say, well, what does that mean in practice? So that to me, that's like part of the context for why we're having this moment. Part of what you're both alluding to here is that, you know, so, you know, what's one of the things that I see happening with, um, with, you know, the post pandemic, and, you know, even the fallout of those things uh, related to quiet quitting and great resignation and things like that. Um, And so you can look at it from a, a, a bottom up top down standpoint. So organizations and leaders within those organizations are feeling like they're driven to put a purpose within their organization. But then there's this individual, you know, why am I at this organization and why should I leave? Or and when I leave, what is, you know, what what does life actually mean to me? And so, you know, one of the theories that I begin to work with, I'm going to add a little bit of psychology into this because there's, you know, all businesses buying for human beings after all, is, you know, logotherapy, which is Victor's Victor Frankel's framework around man's search for meaning. And it's a psychological framework that I think is, you know, through the pandemic, people were looking around saying, wow, I'm spending all this time at, at a job or a role in a function within an organization that might be actually a healthy organization, doesn't even have to be a toxic culture for me to want to quit, but I'm really stepping back and I'm asking myself, what really matters to me? And it's not just about work-life balance, it's about meaning. And so when we think about you know, part of what I see happening with this with purpose is a bit of the, you know, um, push me, pull you the top down, bottom up people within the organization want to work for a purpose driven organization. And therefore, perhaps organizational leaders feel pressured to put a purpose within the organization. But if that organization doesn't live up to it, doesn't, as to your point, Denise, bake it into or really all the points here, bake it into the success metrics and the business strategy of the organization, there's going to be more lip service than actuality of experience, either from an employee standpoint or from a customer standpoint. So it feels to me, ultimately, we're boiling down to 
a set of responsibilities to live up to if one is going to claim anything from a from a purpose statement how does how does a business leader then should they be thinking about living up to the responsibilities of what that purpose should achieve yeah and to me i think that um uh it's almost the way that you said it I think is the way a lot of business leaders might think about it, which is we want to declare this purpose and then we want to live it out as opposed to, I think, really kind of doing more of the internal work to say, really, what are, why are we here? What are we doing? What are we trying to do world trying to do? How are we trying to make the world a better place? And then let's figure out how to articulate that in some compelling phrase. But I think that there is um, it's a, it's, yeah, a little bit of the chicken or the egg, but I really do think that um, uh, most business leaders are much more concerned with what they say their purpose is than what their purpose really is. And um, just to some more statistics to back that up, um, in a Harris poll, over half of B2B business leaders, so 50, 56% said that their purpose feels like a PR exercise rather mm. than a business strategy where it's more about what do we say about ourselves than really what are we, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe purpose then in, in from that particular lens shouldn't necessarily just be a statement, but it should be a set of accountability actions that is tethered to a statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam? Yeah. That, that's sort of where I jump in. And, and I, I feel like to the degree we're having a purpose moment, um, I, I, I do see a shift coming and I think it's going to come from all the stakeholders out there who have um, to me increasingly less patience for talk. Yeah. I, I like to say we're in the the year of, of, I like to call it triple click leadership. And by that, I mean that when you say something as a leader, as a company, you have to be prepared for people to double click to triple click and essentially mm-hmm ask all the follow-up questions that maybe they didn't in the past, but it means like, what does that mean actually? And what resources, you know, time, energy, manpower are we putting against that purpose and how are you measuring it? And whether that's coming from investors, frankly, regulators, employees at all hands meetings, I just feel like there's this sort of pressure testing that is going on that's coming from stakeholders. And so I, my crystal ball is that we are going to shift the conversation from purpose to impact. Mm. And I think there is a world of difference, a universe of difference between those two things, because purpose is ultimately about intent, right? It's companies saying, we want to make the world a better place. You know, we're, we're here for the social good. It's like, okay, that's fine. I can't actually question that because you're talking about what's in your, your heart and what your intent is. But when you shift it to impact, that then shifts it to the arena where, you know, it might be is like, that's kind of what the best of business is, right? Because it's about measurement. It's about accountability. It's about performance. And I, I think we're going to shift there because this idea of like, you can just sort of say anything. And, you know, a lot of leaders are becoming a bit like politicians. And I, I do wonder sometimes, I mean, yeah. society is now looking to business leaders to fix societal ills. And to me, it's interesting that some business leaders are actually starting to sound like politicians. <laughs> and the way that's manifested is like, okay, I'm talking about intent. I'm actually not talking the language of business. I'm talking the language of politics, which is yeah. we're here to make the world a better place. So yeah. to me, the conversation is going to shift to 
impacts. Um, we're seeing little signs of that now, but that's my bet. I got 20 bucks on that square. <laughs> I, I, I would be willing to join in that bet. I'm sure, Steve, you would as well. Right? I would be too. And, and yeah. here's here's something, both of you are writers and both of you write for very high profile organizations. And Adam, you said something very interesting, which is, you know, this triple click mindset. You know, I wonder then, it, it sort of poses the question, who's doing the triple clicking? And and maybe are the journalists or the people who are writing about the business industry, are, are we or those people going to be the ones holding organizations accountable or even having conversations that drive towards accountability around this purpose-driven metric or, purpose, or these purpose-driven types of conversations? What are your guys' feelings on that? I mean, I was a journalist for 30 years, and and I think journalists play an important role in society. I honestly, I'm not looking to journalists to to drive this, you know, conversation and and any change on this front. I think it's the pressure is going to come much closer to home. I think it's going to come in those all hands meetings. Mm-hmm. It's going to come from institutional investors, big shareholders. It's going to come from regulators, where there's a little bit of a pinch to it, rather than just another clip that shows up in their morning news feed. Um, that can be easily dismissed, yeah. you know, and, and of all those constituents, you know, I, I think in many ways, like employees are going to be the most impactful because just what we are hearing, you know, we work inside companies of all sizes. Leaders are now, you know, it's becoming a real leadership moment, those all hands meetings, right? Because people are much more willing to put up their hands and, and challenge to the point where it's not only to be to to question what the talking points are at the company, but we talk to leaders who say like employees are are actually saying now I'm actually not asking you about what the company position is I want to know what your position yeah. is, and so I just think like any gap between the walk and the talk, yeah. boy people are calling that out so quickly and and again just this like well, what does that mean in practice like those are all good words because on a lot of this sort of purpose and diversity, equity, inclusion, everybody knows what the talk track is. Yeah. And it's been playing out for the last three decades. Every company has got it mastered. It's like, we're not where we want to be. We get it. It's important. We're working to work, but we're not where we want to be, but we get it. It's important. And it's like, <laughs> at some point, it's like, you know what? You don't get points for effort. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Adam, I think that, you know, early on in our conversation, you tried to kind of set the context for where we are right now. And I think that you just hit on something that is an important element of the context, which is the um, both the agency as well as I was trying to figure out, like, if it's a microphone or just visibility of the employee within the conversation. You know, and this started you know, well before the pandemic when we saw, um, you know, protests at Google and um, other tech companies, at least here in the Bay Area, that were dealing with a rising sense of employee activism and, and agency and, and questioning. And then I think that the, the um, Me Too movement added fuel onto that. And then the pandemic with people yeah. with individuals starting to really question what was going on and having a lot more time and headspace to, to think about it. Um, now we really do have a, an entire workforce that is you know, I always say not only has the proclivity to raise issues, but they also have the ability. And if, if whether it's a town hall or whether it's social media or, you know, um, job review or employer review sites like Glassdoor or, you know, yeah. LinkedIn, 
you know, we employees now have a voice. And to your point, Adam, they are the ones who are going to be kind of holding the leadership accountable for doing what they say. They're the ones who I think give us the most accurate picture of really what's going on in an organization. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I also sometimes feel like we should be having a more honest conversation about the role of purpose statements. Cause I feel like for, for, for the reasons we've discussed, I feel like companies have, you know, to their credit, I guess, like fully own the purpose conversation. It's like, we are going to put that, those bricks on our back. We're going to figure out some statement that unites and empowers and inflames the passions of all our employees, every single one of them. And to me, that's not realistic. And I think we need to open up the, the conversation about the fact that like employees bring their own purpose into the conversation, right? yes. like putting food on their table and, and everybody, you know, purpose is ultimately about narrative. It's about storytelling. And we all create our own narratives around purpose and our whys and what we do things for. And, and we think it's just like broaden the guardrails and like, like, and say to employees, look, this is how we see our purpose. You're going to bring your purpose into the company and we hope there's like a really good fit there. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like, wow, well, we've got to nail the right phrase that's going to make everybody wake up in the morning and pump their fist and say, man, I'm feeling purpose today. Yeah. Yeah. But your point there, Adam, is something that I see a lot of organizations struggle with, which is the, um, it's called the connection or alignment between the organizational purpose and the individual purpose. And in the work that I do with cultures, they're constantly struggling with how do we reconcile that do we you know do we do we treat it like a scale you know as the individual's purpose is as important as the organization purpose or to your point do you look for sort of a a fit you know not necessarily just a hand and glove type of thing but some type of alignment between how the individual feels why they're moving through life and have taken this particular job or position to begin with and how that how they then define their interpretation and connection to the organizational purpose. So I, I'm going to say something that may be um, that may be controversial. So I definitely like to hear your you, the feedback from you two, and I'm sure we might hear from some other folks. And actually, there is an article in this month's Harvard Business Review laying out how an organization should identify their core values. And it's um, and the process I would think is very similar to what, what you just described, Steve, where they laid out, okay, you need to find out what the core values of all your employees are. Then you need to determine what you think your, you know, you leader need to you know, determine what you think the core values of your organization should be. And then you need to kind of bring them together. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually don't agree with that process. I think as a, as a business leader, you have strategic intent. You have a, a purpose that you know that you created this organization for, this business for. Obviously, you are there to make money, but you also wanted to do something. You wanted to make something. You wanted to provide something. And therefore, as the leadership of an organization, you really need to set what it, you need to articulate, set and articulate what the purpose of your organization is, and then also what the core values of your organization is. And then you need to go to your employees um, and, you know, get feedback and input and understand how, what, what are the disconnects? How well does this fit with the way that your employees are thinking? And, you know, maybe there is some refinement in that process, but I think it, it mostly becomes, how do we get 
the people in our organization to align with our purpose and values. And if they ultimately don't align, then they probably aren't a good fit for organization. And I realize now saying this, I sound a lot like Zuckerberg a couple of months ago when he said that we have way (laughs) too many people working. And so there is a harshness, I think, to what I'm saying, but there's also a clarity and um, and and a, a business objective that I think is the reason why a company exists that you you need to stay true to, and leadership by um, by surveying folks is to me is not an effective leadership. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll sign up behind you on that. Um, <laughs> okay, good. No, and and. Um, the frame on the discussion that that I put is that to run a company these days, like leadership is hard because it's a series of mixed messages, right? And and not only are those mixed messages getting louder since the start of pandemic, but new ones have come in. Yeah. Um, and to me, one of the, the biggest challenges for leaders right now is on the one hand, they're being told, create an inclusive culture, right? And nobody's going to argue with that, right? Create an inclusive culture. On the other hand, while you're doing that, making sure that everybody has a sense of belonging in your organization, you also need to decide what you stand for. Yeah. Right. And companies are being pulled off the fence to take a stand on issues. And so to me, like one of the big leadership challenges, how do you create a culture that is both distinctive and inclusive? Right. Because companies are not democracy. You can't just reverse engineer your values or purpose out. Up from what the employee survey says, right? We right. I think we both agree with that. Um, and you know, I, I just think it's it's an interesting moment we're in because you do see companies like Levi Strauss that are being very upfront and basically saying, look, we've got a few issues. We're like pro-gun control, we are pro-immigration. And the unspoken part is like, you know what, if you don't like that, like then go work somewhere else. Like this yeah. isn't a prison, right? Um, and so it's just this interesting, like, how do you resolve those. But I, I do think the the conversations should start like with the leaders to figure out what what a meaningful purpose and to me like we'll get to the impact statements sooner sure. uh, yeah. means and then decide, let employees decide, yeah, I can sign up for that or not. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and do we believe that or that that employees are joining organizations because of, or at least in part, or maybe even in large part, because of their alignment with the purpose of that organization, not just the industry. And there's, let's assume like things like job role function and skill set are alignment, but they also, their values feel aligned and they believe in what the purpose of that organization is doing. Yeah. Well, and I think that to answer your question, we need to acknowledge that there are different segments within the workforce and different companies, different industries, different jobs. And a lot of what we've been talking about, I think applies to a very high level exclusive um, kind of uh, segment of employees who happen to work for large companies in white collar jobs where they have the luxury of asking themselves, do I believe this company is making the world a better place in the way that I want to. You know, there are a lot of employees out there who just need a job. They Mm -hmm. just need a paycheck. And I think if the, the culture that they experience within, you know, from their manager and with their team is 
you know, welcoming and, and healthy and, and, you know, kind of fits generally, then that's a good job for them. And they don't have the luxury of kind of like being so um, selective about who they're working for. So I think that, you know, we, we need to be careful about just kind of generalizing about workforces in general and say, you know, that the, the folks who have the luxury of, of wondering whether there's values alignment or purpose alignment as, as an employee may yield a lot of power, but they really don't represent, I think, the vast majority of workers out there. Yeah, that, I think that's a really great point. You know, some of the organizations I work with these days are not Fortune 100s. Um, you know, they're, you know, my smallest business that I work with is, you know, they might be $10 million and have, you know, 100 employees. And the biggest one goes up to, you know, 5,000 employees. And, you know, we're not talking about these types of organizations that have 300,000 employees. And those people who have the biggest voices within those organizations are the leaderships, the directors, the VPs who have, you know, are are the ones that are going to be listened to at those all hand meetings that you talked about, Adam, that, you know, these CEOs can be like, ah, if I lose this person and don't listen to what they have to say, then, you know, we're, we're kind of in a tough spot uh, where somebody on the assembly line of, you know, uh, you know, some chip manufacturing company might have a voice or have a perspective about these things, but their priorities are very different, which is, you know, they're just trying to make money for the family. Yeah. And, and, and to build on that, I mean, maybe this survey exists and I just haven't seen it, but I'm really curious, like on any given month, how often do employees think about the purpose of their yeah. company, right? And and we do know from all the surveys and lived experience and common sense, most people's jobs, the quality of their job is defined by their boss and their coworkers, yeah. right? <laughs> people don't leave companies, they leave yeah. bosses. And, you know, there's other surveys that like you, you know, whether you have something you call a true friend at work is also going to be a big determinant about whether you stick around or not. And I think if you can get sort of into employees and job seekers brains, I don't know if you've got a really highly refined ranking system of like this purpose statement strikes me as being in the top quartile compared to this one, which is not quite, I don't think people's brains work that way. I think <laughs> it's like a kind of a rough cut. It's like bad or good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like exactly. there's probably some companies that, you know, some of us would say, yeah, I'd never work for them for reasons X, Y, Z. But once you like go to the other side of the pie chart, it's like, I'm open to just give me a narrative that I can get behind that'll fit behind me. And it's like, yeah, that sounds a good job too. And I want to grow my career and my skills. And so I just feel like this purpose is like become this like pack mule that's being asked to carry like 20 times its weight. And it's like, we shouldn't overthink it, you know? Yeah. 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 And so that actually ties into something that I had written about in the article actually that brought us together, Adam, when you, you asked me to write something for people in strategy and I had, um, had been studying some research that had originally been published in the Harvard Business Review uh, with some cult- consultants that described three different kinds of purpose statements out there. And the first is kind of more of a cause-oriented purpose, like a social good that, pe- that a company aspires to. And I think the example they used was Starbucks to inspire and nurture the human spirit. Okay. And, and going back to the very first comment you made, Adam, like that's a very high altitude kind of purpose. Um, whereas there are other kinds of purposes that are just as effective. The consultants um, describe purposes as 
competence, like the function you serve. So Walmart's statement to save people money so they can live better is, I think, a much more of a statement about what Walmart does, you know, not just what, but then why, so that people live better. But I think it's it's a it's a much more kind of mid-level altitude, you know, where where I think an average employee, the the greeter at a Walmart store could say, Yeah, okay, I, I want to I want to be part of this experience that helps people save money so they live better. And then the last um type that the consultants talked about was um purpose as culture, like the intent with with which you want to run to want to run your company. And mm-hmm. so Amazon uses this kind of purpose when it says its aim is to be Earth's most customer-centric company. Mm-hmm. You know, so they really want to be like totally everything they do in service of the customer. And again, I kind of feel like that's more of like a mid-level altitude purpose statement that that again an employee could be like, yeah, okay, I want to be a part of a company that that you know, puts the customer first, that orients every all our decisions around the customer. Um, now, whether Amazon really does that or not, I know we could have a whole conversation about sure. that. But just this idea of just saying that, you know, there's a spirit or um, a, a, an ethos which that is going to drive everything we do. Again, I think employees can maybe relate to that more and say, okay, yeah, that's that's the kind of organization that I'd, I'd want to work at or I'd be proud to, to work for. Yeah, that's a great segue too, Denise, because if I think about what Adam was te- teasing out earlier, which I do want to segue into this now, which is you take those three different stratospheres and staying with your altitude metaphor, Adam, um, you know, let's weave now into accountability, measurability, and impact within that. And I'm just curious, and you can use what Denise just shared as the three three altitude framework, if you will, or just talk generally about, you know, okay, what is the responsibility of an organization to have impact tethered into whatever their purpose statement is? Yeah, I, I, I'm all, I'm all on. I'm all on board for the impact statements, right? I think yeah. that's the way, and I said this earlier, but I think that's the where purpose statements are moving. And then if you put that question on the table, like, how do you think about impact? Again, like, I don't think we need to overthink this and we don't need to get so lofty. I mean, very often in business, I go back to something I, I interviewed CEO Gordon Bethune, he ran Continental Airlines for many years. And, um, you know, in, in the interview, he, he said something that's always stayed with me. He goes, you know what? Like if you say three things in a row that make sense, people will follow you. Right? <laughs> and and I think it's like let's just let's just be commonsensical about this. Like mm-hmm. if you're a, a small shoe company, you know that's based in a small town in rural New New York. Like, what is your impact going to be? Your impact is going to be providing jobs for people in the town, right? And and employees in the town, and you probably give money to the town, the community you live in. Like that's your concentric circle. That's your sphere of influence. And I think companies need to be really deliberate about like, what is their sphere of impact? And, and I, you know, I, I interviewed a guy named Paul Kenward, um, managing director, in effect, the CEO of British Sugar, right? They make sugar from beets in England, right? That's their business. And yeah. I had this fascinating conversation around purpose with them because they worked really hard in their purpose statement, which is to come up. They said, we want to build a thriving homegrown industry, hmm. right? And, you know, you work for that company. Well, what does that mean, Paul, right? You go to the all hands meeting. What does that mean? It's like, okay, well, everybody who works here, you know, this, this, this industry exists within the borders of our country. Everything is grown here. We don't import anything. Um, we provide jobs and, you know, people have been with a company for 40 
years and they started as apprentice and you know we're doing this for the environment we're, we're working on our water usage and reducing that and here's the statistics and you just imagine working there it's like well, what do you do for a living well i actually like dig up beets to make sugar you know it's not it's not super lofty work right but to me that's a purpose statement that you can kind of get behind it's like yeah i can i can do that yeah and Adam, so you just touched on something that I think is really important is like all of those um, dimensions that you just mentioned should be kind of tied to that purpose statement or the impact statement. So, you know, we're here to build a homegrown industry. Therefore, we will see X percent of, you know, our investment going into this region. We will create X number of jobs in this lo locality. We will, you know, kind of... Um, setting hard metrics that provide that accountability to say, okay, this just isn't an idea. We will know it. So maybe what I'm saying is maybe along with your impact statement, you should, you should have a, we will know we, we are making this impact if we, and then you have these kind of bullet statements yeah. or the met, these metrics that enable you to show whether or not you are actually doing that. Yeah, you guys are both speaking to a litmus test that I that I use both with core values and also with purpose statements, which is if you can't tell a story or a series of stories of how you're already living up to the things that you're claiming or intend to claim that might even be aspirational, then they shouldn't be purpose statements or they shouldn't be core values, right? So it's almost like, you know, when I work with organizations, we are reverse engineering the brilliance that's already there. So we're cultivating the things that uh, that have to do with the impact that they're already making. And I want to hear the stories that they tell me about, you know, the beet farmer and all of that, all the things that actually can create or already are creating impact for the purpose statement that we're shaping, crafting and cultivating. And it, again, it, it works the same way with core values. Yeah. yeah. Adam, I want to shift gears a little bit. And this may be a non sequitur, but maybe you'll bring it back around. So in your most recent book, your co-author, the CEO, uh, Kevin Scherer, uh, mentioned a phrase, which I, I love this phrase, and I'm sort of super curious about it and, and may tether into this, called social architecture uh, in the article. And as I read it, it seems to be related to the idea of purpose. And I'm just curious what, and I know I'm asking you to speak for him, but... Yeah. Hopefully that's not unfair. Spent hundreds of hours with Kevin. I can, uh, yeah. I can, I can be his stunt double. Um, what he's talking about there is is really how, to me, like the three big parts of a company work together, like the strategy, the mission and purpose, and the values. Mm -hmm. And I, part of Kevin's point is that I think historically those were often three separate conversations, right? Let's come up with a strategy. It's like, okay, then we got to go to the golf site offsite to like, you know, come up with the values. Like, Hey, are we done? Oh yeah. By the way, we need a purpose statement. Make the world a better place. Yeah. Done. Okay, good. Let's go play another <laughs> round of golf. Right. Like, and I think that's how those conversations typically played out. Um, and, but I think we're in this moment where those pieces have to fit together. They have to form a cohesive whole and and play off each other and it feels much more integrated because again like just to torture this metaphor of like interlocking pieces you don't want to see daylight between them right like the value should be you know to build the culture that will drive the strategy to fulfill you know the the company's why all that stuff has to fit together much more organically now and again you know there's a business imperative there like not only do you tell a better story 
But if you want to play defensively, you better figure out the right answer to that social architecture because otherwise you're in for a really tough all-hands meeting. Yeah. So that social architecture is the triangulation and the the fitting together of the three major puzzle pieces in action, you know, with deep integrity. Yeah. And they got to fit tight together like Lego pieces, I think. Yeah. 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 And then I wonder then as, as organizations evolve, how do they reconcile the evolution and those pieces not breaking apart? Sorry, explain that again. So, you know, organizations don't stay constant, right? So are, is then, so I'm going to make an assumption here. Those three key puzzle pieces fit together and they're more or less constants within the organization, or should business leaders give themselves permission to evolve any of those things as, as, you know, new market opportunities come, come, come to light, uh, the pandemic hits, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they should be like, you know, dried concrete and they never change. On the other hand, you don't want to be like pivoting based on feedback from a customer, right? Yeah. I, I think they, they need to be evolved. They need to be revisited, but you shouldn't be changing them that often. I mean, yeah. you know, part of your leader, your job as a leader to be like the bus driver. You don't want to be like wrenching a wheel and like making the kids in the back sick. <laughs> well, and, and I think um, it starts from having this really co- this cohesion in the first place, or what I would call fusion. You know, and um, uh, Adam, as you were talking about, like no day- daylight between strategy, purpose, and values. It reminded me of how I talk about there should be no da- daylight between brand and culture. You know, what you say you're on the outside really needs to be what you are on the inside. And I think you achieve that fusion, or you achieve that integration by not delegating or not assigning these different aspects of your business to different roles. So I can imagine, you know, in your social architecture framework that like strategy, okay, well, that's either like the strategy department or maybe kind of actually like the core leadership of Mm. the company, but mission and purpose statement, oh, that's probably a communications thing. And then values, oh, well, that's an HR thing. And so, you know, you have these different groups developing these different aspects of your of your organization that really should be developed by a single group, an integrated group of folks who are looking at all of these aspects together and um, connecting the dots. So I think that just as a CEO or as the head leader of your organization, you, you can't afford to delegate responsibility for these different areas to different folks. You need to be in it and driving it and bringing these perspectives together so that they are one thing, not three, two or three different things. Same thing with like brand and marketing and HR and and culture. It's like these two, these things shouldn't be separate. Yeah. And we see this all the time, you know, the marketing department doesn't talk to the HR team and doesn't talk to the sales, <laughs> like the innovation group doesn't, or the, you know, any of that. Right. Um, so Denise, talking about fusion a little bit more, like I know one of the mindsets that you have in fusion and, and that I, I think it also comes from what great brands do is that great brands start from the inside out. And I think that you say in fusion that purpose should be developed not not externally as it often is as a you know a traditional agency driven brand building process prospect or process uh, but rather start from the inside. I wonder like if you'd expand on that and and Adam, I'd love your perspective on that too and and then even further, sorry to add complexity to the question, <laughs> who should be involved in this? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely internal. You know, I, I am a big uh, follower, believer in uh, Jim Collins and the book that he wrote with Jerry Porras, Built to Last, where they explained this whole five why process so you can really get at your core purpose. And that is a strategic leadership process. So uh, and I really do think it is the, the very top leaders of your organization. Certainly, they need to be listening and getting input from all of their individual stakeholders. But at the end of the day, I think it's this process of internally going deep with a, you know, with a few people to uh, unpeel the onion of your why. Um, same thing with your core values. Um, and I think I should mention one aspect in that unpeeling of the onion is, I think, really assessing where you currently are. I think that's a really important part because I think sometimes this becomes very much of a future vision casting exercise, as opposed to what are we doing now? Where, where do we stand? What, what purpose are we feeling now? What are our, our existing core values? And then what do these need to be to get us to where we want to go? So mm-hmm. I think that the whole assessment process is part of the um, unpeeling the onion. Yeah, interesting. So let's shift gears uh, coming towards the top of the hour here. Who's getting it right? And and of those companies, I don't know if you guys have examples of organizations that you know, uh, maybe Adam, you've interviewed some CEOs that are getting it right. And not just who is getting it right, but how do they go about getting it right? Well, I, I mentioned that one British Sugar and, you know, I'm, I'm always intrigued to read um, sort of annual shareholder letters and reports from Microsoft. I mean, I, I feel like they're moving towards that direction of like putting metrics behind yeah. um, behind what they're doing. And to me, it, it's again, like I, I try and keep things pretty simple, but I think just that's what we need to look for is it's it is the double and triple clicks. It's like, what does that mean? And um, so. I, I don't know. Like I, to me, that's that's what's in my crystal ball, and I, I will be intrigued to see if it happens and how quickly. Yeah, and if the getting it right that just simply means they're putting accountability metrics in place in the areas of their organization that matter most, where they're aiming their impact. Yeah, and and look, I'm a big fan of like five cent words rather than twenty dollar words, and keeping things like really simple and concrete. And it's interesting, a previous um, exchange you guys had about, you know, how to come up with purpose statements. I'm really intrigued, like some people are getting titles now, chief purpose officers, which I, I find interesting. Like you come oh up gosh. with one sentence and it's like, I'm done for the year, you know, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But which I think is an interesting moment. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of years talking to CEOs and asking them about how they came up with their values and I heard so many different avenues, like bottom up, top down, leadership team, then you focus group of the employees. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. And I think all of them have value. But the one thing that I, 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 I will um, I will assert is that I think it is the leader's job to, in effect, be the, the final editor, right? It's, yeah. it's a leader's job in every context of leadership to know what good looks like. And they have to have a bar in their head where they're gonna say like, look, I know you guys spend like a hundred hours on this thing, but we're still not there. Like, I know everybody loves this and everybody's on board and believes it, but it's like, it's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, so good. And, 
And Steve, I would just answer your question uh, by actually um, providing an answer an answer that contradicts everything that we've talked about, because the two companies that I think actually um, do their purpose really well do have very lofty sounding purposes. One of them is Starbucks to inspire and nurture the, nurture the, the human spirit. And the other is uh, Patagonia, yeah. which is we're in the business to save our home planet. And um, I think what strikes me about what is why they're doing purpose right is kind of some, it's a riff on something I think Kat Lencioni once said. They're they're willing to do things where their purpose hurts, yeah. where it actually requires them to spend money or do things that are um, are very costly uh, in other ways to the organization. And I think about when Howard Schultz came back to the organization um, back in 2008, and he really wanted to resurrect the culture of the organization. You know, he shut down all the stores. He brought in, uh, brought all of the uh, managers down to actually, I think, to New Orleans because it was in the wake of Katrina and had this whole experience that the, I think the shareholders were like, why are you spending all this money when we are bleeding money at the same time? But it was a difficult decision in order to enable the people to fulfill their purpose. Um, same thing now we've seen with Patagonia for years has been making business decisions that you're just like, why? Like why why run an ad that yeah. tells people to not buy our product? Yeah. Now, you know, why is Yvonne Schwinnard um, putting his money into a trust that is going to be all about fulfilling the company's purpose that the family's not gonna have control over it anymore. I mean, these are costly decisions that I think make the purpose work. And that's really what I think makes a good. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And especially Patagonia, I think they're, they've been living that for quite a long time. And, you know, I know a lot of people are on their bandwagon, but, you know, courage comes to mind with the way that they tend to make decisions internally. And, you know, courage, you, you deploy sometimes when it's painful, when it hurts, when it's not necessarily just the best for your bottom line of your organization. So let's play with a thought experiment. And, and I'm going to frame this in that, you know, years ago, when I came up through the industry and through the, you know, the world of business, um, purpose really wasn't a thing. Back then, we called it mission statement, right? So now the thought of experiment is the word purpose is stricken from our, our business and social vocabulary. What do we call it? And what kinds of conversations should we be having? At the risk of repeating myself, impact, to me, it's, it's pretty clear an impact statement, if you say, here's our impact statement, like that instantly raises ex expectations that you're going to see numbers in there. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I, and I like Adam's answer. So I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's your point, bringing this full circle a little bit, you know, if, if business is ultimately all about the impact that it makes, uh, not just top line, bottom line, financial impact, things like that, but how it impacts the world of employees, the world of customers, uh, stakeholders, investors, board members, community, environment, et cetera, then ultimately, you know, when the best of organizations are out there thinking about their purpose statement, they're, they really, if they're um, grown up about it, I'll say, they're really thinking about what impact we're going to make in, in all the ways that they then choose to aim it. So um, any additional thoughts, questions that you guys want to fire at one another? Related to this topic before I move into Q and A, no. Go ahead, Denise. I was going to say, you know, Adam, I have been a big fan of yours for years. Oh. Back when you wrote Corner Office, and um, I just feel like you understand the psychology of CEOs so well. Yeah. Um, do 
I, I guess, do CEOs understand that there is this disconnect? Like, do they understand that they are saying one thing and doing another? And again, very broad generalization. Yeah. But like, if if you were to have this conversation we just had with one of your CEO in, interviewees or clients, what would they say? Yeah, well, it's <laughs> it'd be great. Like, and the question is like, do you have the conversation after you give them three shots of truth serum? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, and and I guess the it's hard to know the gap between like what they're saying and what they believe in their heart. Right. Mm. Um, and uh, because some of them may really believe, you know, and, and part of being an effective leader is like you, you, you're so authentic, right. You, you live the brand, you are the brand, you're so passionate about the brand. So maybe at some level you do con- convince yourself whether you have to, or it's really easy to do. You believe in the story, even if the story is like, we're here to make the world a better place. So um, it's just, it's hard to get inside their heads and hearts. It's like, do you really believe this? Like, <laughs> like it seems to me like a dotted line, not a solid line between yeah. what you do and, uh, and, and, and the purpose. Um, and, you know, it, at some level, it's kind of another form of stakeholder management, right? Like mm-hmm. we're in this era of stakeholder capitalism. Job of CEO used to be relatively simple compared to the way it is today, right? You know, you used to run the company and deal with like your 10 biggest shareholders and your job's done. And now, like literally, whether it's social media, investors, employees, like all the constituents, all the stakeholders, you have to be prepared for, you know, any version of like, what about this or that? Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's such a good question. It's like, how do we get inside their heads to know what they're really thinking? Yeah. 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 You know, the, uh, I know, Denise, you didn't ask me this question, but one conversation or actually a couple conversations, I'm going to fuse them together of CEOs that I've uh, spoken with come to mind are, you know, th- the first thing that that I know and I hear in various ways is that, you know, the CEOs talk about, look, business is hard. Like what what we do day in and day out just to achieve what we're trying to achieve, move the ball down the field, so to speak, and and you know, manage the complexity of the world that we're in is not easy. And at the same time, we have big, lofty, aspirational goals that we want to hold ourselves accountable for. So when someone asks, you know, the question, or I'm I'm framed with the question of, you know, the purpose is to make the world a better place. One one CEO said to me, says, well, depends on what you mean by the world. Are we talking about the world of my customers, the world of my employees, the world of my communities, the world of my investors? Then now all of a sudden I can reframe the word world into the world or the life of these people that I'm looking to affect and work with on a day in day out basis. And now all of a sudden you begin to come closer in from this very lofty thing into something that's much more not just manageable, but you can aim at and set up systems and processes in order to serve those people in impactful ways. So a lot of the work that I end up doing is helping people to refine even more tightly what those what that world mm-hmm. actually means and what it is so that we can create impact uh, in, in those organizations. It's really smart. Yeah. So we have a question from Stuart Hayes. Uh, and I'm going to read the whole thing. And I'm not sure who it's aimed at, but I'll, I'll read to both of you. You guys can hit it on the fly. Absolutely agree. Purpose has gotten too trendy, too PRE, uh, with a core driver of strategy and decisions. 
part of my work in this space is helping helping comes looks reflectively to discover their purpose versus create a marketing line. More importantly, it's about unpacking the contributions, what you do, and the impact, why it matters to users. Uh, I'm assuming by users, we mean customers there. Most companies struggle with the latter. How do you help companies unpack transparency and engagement around impact? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I was going to say, I, I, one thing that comes to mind is something we've already touched on, um, but maybe just to be explicit, is um, your workforce is probably a really good kind of BS meter in a way, you know? And so I think that if, if you come up with a purpose statement, I think the first thing you need to ask your people is, are we doing this? And to your, and actually I think to something, Steve, that you said earlier, what, is, what stories or what metrics or what data can you point me to that shows that we are making this impact? So I think that having conversations internally, um, you know, there's probably a lot that could be revealed. So again, you know, I had said before that the leader needs to be, or the leadership team needs to be the one that drives the purpose. But I think you can learn a lot from your employees by saying, are we doing this? And how do we know that we're doing this? And um, making sure that you have those lines of communication open to hear honest feedback on it. Yeah, great, Denise. Thank you. Adam? Yeah, and I'll just say, in, in, in some ways, I think impact is much more of a comfort zone for businesses than figuring out this purpose stuff, right? Because if you're a leadership team, you know, the percentage of your year that is spent coming up with the deck to share with the board and at, you know, investors, it's like pick a number of slides, five slides and 30 slides, whatever. But like, that's where all your energy is going. Like, give us the charts, give us the graphs, give us the percentage increase, decrease. It's like, that's the whole machinery is set up to do that. And so it's just like, okay, let's do that for impact. To me, this like, wait a minute, we got to be like politicians and preachers. And it's like, what does that look like? And how do we do that? And yeah. why don't we just say, we'll make the world a better place and then we can all go home. It's like, okay, good, go with that. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, guys, uh, that's all the questions we have. Uh, uh, I uh, absolutely appreciate your your time, your perspective, and your insight uh, here today. Denise, how can people find out about you and your work in the world? Thanks for asking, Steve, and thanks to you and Adam for a great conversation. Um, my website, deniseleon.com, I can kind of consider it a portal to everything that um that I do. So if you're interested in reading some of my writings or looking at my videos, getting free chapters from my books, all of that is on my website. Um, as well as then, you know, there are links to my social media. I am right now most active on LinkedIn. So that's a great way to connect with me. If you do invite me to connect, please tell me that you saw me on this webinar and you want to talk <laughs> about this because otherwise I um I have a, a it's hard for me to know what the value of a connection is. So but um yeah, Excellent. Thanks, Denise. Adam, how about you? How can people find out about the work you're doing? Yeah, and again, thanks to you and Denise for setting this up. It's been a great conversation. Um, LinkedIn is probably the best for me. Uh, reach out. I've got four different interview series with four directors and CEOs and CHROs with more than 200,000 subscribers. So please sign up and join in the fun. Uh, our firm is xcoleadership.com, excoleadership.com. And my personal website is adambryantbooks.com. Beautiful. 
Again, Adam, Denise, thanks so much. It was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to connecting with you both down the line. And, you know, maybe in the future, you know, the we will sunset the word purpose from the zeitgeist to business vocabulary and thus will rise the sun of impact statements. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Beautiful Business with Stephen Morris. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. To download a free chapter of Steve's book, The Beautiful Business, go to beautifulbusinesspodcast.com. Again, that's beautifulbusinesspodcast.com.